Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. As life goes on, it can seem too late to take up a new skill or make something new, which is one reason that when we read about Russ Ellis's new album in the New York Times, we realized that we needed to have him on the show. Ellis was a track star at UCLA. You should Google those pictures. They're amazing. Then a UC Berkeley vice chancellor and architecture professor. And when he retired in 1994, he took a painting, sculpture, a men's group. And then, at 85 years young he released an album. His first album, a melange of styles and sounds. And at least, you know, you hear about someone like this, and I think, we just need to feed this person's wisdom out over the airwaves. And so here we are, Russ Ellis. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, Russ, can you tell us, what's the secret to continuing to do fascinating new things at every stage of life? Ha. Uh. Well, gee, I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I think it's happenstance. Um, how you enter the world and who your teachers are and what you bump into. You know? um, I seem always to have been uh, a kind of explorer. I'm fundamentally kind of uh, conservative. I have a big hermit side, and uh, even though I'm very social, but I have a, a hermit side. I can go away for a couple of weeks at a time and go inside, you know, mm-hmm. uh, spend time alone. Uh, I When I look back over my life, I think, here's what I actually, you know, I hadn't thought about this. Um, my early life was volcanically disrupted. <laughs> I, uh, uh, my mother ran off when I was around five uh, with a guy to New York. Uh, my father got drafted and went to the war. Um, and then I, he left me with a farm couple out in Fontana, California, where I was until I was 11. Then I came back to L.A. and with, uh, uh, he had a new wife. Uh, a very powerful woman with whom I fought a lot and so forth, but I learned a tremendous amount from her. And um, then uh, I was actually small for a long time. I won't spend too much time on this, but then I think in my junior year in high school, I I grew. I mean, I shed my skin, really, really. I was like some reptile. I, I just grew and I got very fast. And then I wound up winning uh, the, the uh, second in the 800 in the, in the state meet. And then UCLA got interested in me all of a sudden. So all of a sudden, I go from Compton High School uh, out to Westwood. Well, and, and then in Westwood, 
because uh, it was segregated at the time. Um, I had diff- they had difficulty locating where black athletes, for example, uh, mm. would live. Huh. And um, so one of the places I lived was in the Sammy House, a Jewish fraternity for a year. Well, all of this to say, I think my life has been a series of disruptions. And I think I've been uh, sort of a marginal person. I've been able to look over fences. I mean, to look at the campus from the standpoint of a Jewish fraternity is a very definite way of looking at things. (laughs) Kept you on your toes, you know. Um, (laughs) So uh, we want to know from our listeners, what's a pursuit or hobby that you picked up later in life? You can give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And that's the question is, what's a pursuit or hobby that you picked up later in life? We want to hear a little bit from this album, Russ. I think we're going to play the very first song, Eliza, and then we'll come back to talk about it. So, Russ, you've never written a song before in your life. This is the first track that you ended up writing. How, how did this happen? Well, um, um, it was a complete accident. Um, um, I describe it in the liner notes on the album. Um, my wife and I live in a three-story uh, old Berkeley house built in 1909. And it's where I'm 86, she's 81. And it's hard to keep together. So we've had a Brazilian couple who uh, cleaned the house for us. And one time he hurt his leg and uh, she brought an assistant, but we were uncommonly close to these people and I didn't have room for uh, another person. So I ignored the help that they brought. And then I read an article in the New York Times uh, Sunday Review section about a woman who, a writer down on her luck, who turned to cleaning houses to make ends meet. When I finished that, I said to myself, and I'm quoting myself, Russell Ellis, your father's mother was born into slavery. You have the right to ignore no one. And so I asked for the assistant name and it turned out to be Elisabeth in Portuguese. And she said, but I prefer Elisa. So I said, okay, I'm gonna sing your name like this when you come next time so that I will remember it, Elisa. And a song walked in right behind it. And then that door through which the muse or whatever it was came, stayed open for about a year. And then it closed. (laughs) I'm no longer writing. I never wrote before. Uh, It was happenstance. I thought about this in anticipation of this interview, though I was really involved in painting in a painting class. 
uh, Katie Hawkinson's class. And my wife is a songwriter. And so she will be up at three in the morning noodling on the piano, <laughs> you know? And so, and I'm, I'm, it's a lullaby for me. I'm going to sleep with it. But I think being involved with a group of people exploring painting and hearing music just kind of opened doors for me. And also I wasn't preoccupied. I was retired. Uh, my kids were doing well, so I was kind of low stress. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and, and, there was uh, space for the portal to open up into the go. musical part of your mind. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. So wait, who, who who are your musical influences? I mean, I was going to guess some Elvis Costello, maybe, Chess Records Blues. I, I couldn't quite figure it out, but what, what would you say, major influences? Oh, you, you have to read the liner notes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I encourage everybody, because I explain where things come from. Um, yeah, come look, I'm all over the damn landscape in, in this album, right? I mean, um, and my stepmother came from the Bronx, but she had fantasized about coming to California and opening a dude ranch. So in the Bronx, she was listening to Lefty Frizzell and Hank Williams, a black woman, you know, from a big family, a poor family. And uh, so uh, she had, she graduated from Hunter College. She had WC and Prokofiev and uh, Sons of the Pioneers and Hank Williams. And then my dad had, you know, Ellington and uh, Basie and so forth. So I was, I got a lot of influences there. So that's where the country and Western thing, last glass of wine comes from, that instinct. And I even think I've got a fairly decent little song going in there. I think I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of get it. Uh, but anyway, um, so that's where that came from. The blues um, is, I always took it for granted, you know, it's like a few chords and da 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 da. That's not true. <laughs> but I wanted to try it. And so, so I thought about what my dad listened to and um, then gave that a go. So yeah. all kinds of influence. And then I went to college and, and met a lot of musicians, mainly classical people, and got into, into music that way too. Yeah. Let's listen to another song from this album. Let's listen to We Watch. We watch the birds together. We watch the squirrels at play. We have our same old breakfasts and then begin our day. The mountains high, the valleys low. The stream flows to the sea The more I share my love with you The more our love is weak We're talking to Russ Ellis who recorded his first album, Songs from the Garden, at age 85. That was the song we watch. And we want to know from you, what's a pursuit or hobby that you picked up later in life? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Russ Ellis, I want you to tell us who played on this album with you. Did you just happen to know a lot of musicians who were hanging around, or did you play these things yourself? How'd that go? (laughs) No, I I had a little singing career, but I I don't play an instrument, really. No, here's what happened. Um, 
I drowned my children in music. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they had no choice but to do something with music. And then they grew up in music and had friends. They went off to Casadero Music Camp where they made lots of friends here in Berkeley, California. And um, so by the time uh, I was 85, all these relationships that my children had established, Dave, you know, was Charlie Hunter Trio, Zoe was in the Professionals, uh, you know, and so forth. So I just went back and grabbed those uh, kids who used to be kids. Uh, I met Jay Lane, for example, when he was 14, and Dave Schull, I think, might have been 12. Um, and I said, hey, would you do this for me? And they said, sure. <laughs> and so, and the most elaborate uh, effort was the, the blues piece, but everybody was uh, happy to collaborate. And I tell you, one of the benefits of being old is that people I met when they were 14 and so, they still think I'm Mr. Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they're, they're 50 now. And, yeah. and they're 52, you know? <laughs> right. Um, the the album's title, uh, Songs from the Garden. Where Where's like, I mean, obviously in the last track, you know, we heard about watching the squirrels. I actually know we live in the same neighborhood. So I actually know the squirrels you're talking about. They're crazy. Oh, yeah. I can see why you're watching them. Um, but I was, I was wondering, was that one of the key inspirations was just this sense of kind of um, your your own space and kind of tending your space and watching the natural world as a, a way of sort of, you know, moving through time. Uh, you know, you're, you're onto something. Uh, I one day about uh, a year and a half, two years ago, I went out into the garden. We have a very nice space now. We took down an old garage, and we're going to build another unit. And we love the space, so we left it. But I went out, and I had really quite a strange experience. The the magnetism of the earth, um, and then I got into more heavily into gardening. And I haven't been much of a gardener because I lived, you know, on a farm and a farm is all work. <laughs> I, you know, when the hippies went back to the land, I said, bye, you know, <laughs> nothing, that's nothing but work. But I got into the garden, I got into the earth. And I think that was actually, I, I think I gave up a lot of fantasies associated with my past life. I was, you know, because if you're in academia, especially a place like Cal, you got to produce work that's noticed. Mm-hmm. You know, you really do. And um, and so it, you're, you're on it all the time. Then I went from that into university administration, which was something, I got to tell you. Mm-hmm. And um, then I think this was liberation for me, getting back into the garden. I was releasing all that stuff, you know? I think that's probably what happened, that it was freeing for me, the garden. And so I, maybe that's the door through which the music came, or the songwriting came, I don't know. But I think there's a relationship. Yeah. You know, yeah. thinking about your life, how much do you think that living in, in Berkeley and the Bay Area generally sort of influenced the, the person that you became? Oh, Hugely. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, but just staying with music for a second. Uh, when uh, my wife and I came here, Judith and I came here, um, there was real music in the Berkeley schools. I mean, solidly supported by the community. I mean, I think all the way down to the eighth grade, 
and um, but there was music, and this is a very musical town. Most of it happens indoors, you know. But uh, this is a, this is a very musical town. Also, um, we were a mixed marriage, and so Berkeley was very supportive. The school bus looked like some, you know, United Nations genetic experiment, you know, all these different kinds of kids. Um, and I think I, um, and I had a lot of work to do. Uh, Berkeley was very tired. I came in 1970. So all the protests and stuff right there, you know, uh, had wound down pretty uh, radically. And people were tired, but everybody was anxious to get back to normal. And I had work to do at the university. My kids were in the school. Uh, so I, I think I, I took off in some special way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. I don't know if that's responsive to you. No, no, no. That is. That is. Let's, um, let's listen to one last song. Long okay. time. Still can't figure why you stay with me After everything I put you through Else, um, earlier in the show, we had on some young people, um, and everyone always gives them advice, but they actually seem like they're going to be all right. How about some advice for middle-aged people right now about living living the second half of our lives? Huh. You mean people like you? Yeah, people like me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, don't be in a hurry to retire. Um, if, you, if you're in a position to retire, I say retiring earlier is better than later. But um, uh, advice, gee golly, um, I've kind of learned to avoid that. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I have feelings. Um, I, here's what I'd say. Um, uh, trust your, your fantasies about that's something you'd like to do. Trust it. You know, a lot of people uh, pre-retirement, this is the stereotype, but you know, they're going to, when I retire, I'm going to build a boat and sail around, the, you know, mm -hmm. sail around the world. You know, Well, they're not going to, <laughs> you know? but I think it's important to hold on to that fantasy mm -hmm. because I think, you know, they're like, you know, follow the drinking gourd. It's kind of like um, they're guides for you. And they're not logical, but that's not what you want with these kinds of guides. You want them to function at the heart level, not at the brain level. Yeah. And keep keep your fantasies alive. Even, I don't care what you do. Keep your fantasies alive. Thank you so much. We've been talking with Russ Ellis, who recorded his first album, Songs from the Garden, at age 85. Thank you so much, Mr. Ellis. Stay tuned for more Forum with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.